Hoe is mijn model? Roto El Pato de Vestuario. Ja, interpretation sempre negativa. Sempre negativa. Nunca positiva. Hello, welcome to Siempre Positivo with me, Sam Marsden. Barcelona are the Copa del Rey champions. Evolución para Frenkie de Jong, de Jong para Messi de nuevo, jugando a placer los dos. Llega Messi, se planta en el área, puede marcar Leo. ¡Qué golazo acaba de marcar Leo Messi! Espectacular la jugada entre Frenkie de Jong y el argentino. Tuya, mía, mía, tuya, el Athletic Club de Bilbao, incapaz de frenar. Barça hammered Athletic Club 4-0 in the final on Saturday to win the first trophy of the Ronald Koeman era and the first since Joan Laporta returned for a second spell as president last month. Lionel Messi scored twice, Frankie de Jong scored one and helped make two and Antoine Griezmann was also on target. But the weekend didn't end there. There's European Super League talk once again. Jorge Messi is in Barcelona and Real Madrid were held by Hetafe. So Barcelona's La Liga fate is back in their own hands. Here to go over all of that, as ever, are Rick Sharma and Tony Juanmarti. Rick, are you good? Yeah, I'm good. It's been a long day of, of eating, drinking and a bit of work, so pretty good. Yeah, we're recording this late on Sunday night. Full transparency, my fault. I've had a kid's birthday party to organise. Tony, last week we said bon dia, um, and you said it wasn't a very... A very bon dia. Can we say bon anit? Uh, yes, we can say bon anit. Uh, and apart from that, I would say bon cap de setmana. That it means a great weekend because it's been a perfect weekend for Barcelona supporters. Yeah, we'll get through all that. We'll get through the, the league action at the end. But there's only one place to start at La Cartuja in Seville where Barcelona won the Copa del Rey for the 31st time in their history. It was a cracking run to the final with memorable comebacks against Granada and Sevilla and then a really good performance in the final itself against Athletic this weekend. 4-0 probably flattered the Basque side in the end, to be honest. It was Barca's first trophy since 2018-19 when they won, won La Liga under Ernesto Valverde. Often the Copa, and we spoke about this in the, in the preview pod, has been passed off by, by Barcelona and by Real Madrid, as you know, the, the third choice. But it felt really necessary this year for Barca, given the situation they've, they've found themselves in. And it was never really in doubt on, on Saturday they were going to win it, was it, Rick, despite the, the lack of efficiency, as Kuman would say in the, in the first half? I, d- I wouldn't go as far as saying that because, yeah, Barca, Barca were dominating the game. But when it's 0-0, and it's a cup final, there's always a chance, you know, the other team can go down the other end and score a goal. And it wouldn't have been, you know, a shock if Iñaki Williams had got past PK one of those times and, and broke the deadlock. And PK did really well, and we'll get to that, I'm sure, but he could do well covering Iñaki those two times. But it is a massive, massive result for Barca, like you say. For so many reasons, isn't it? I mean, how many reasons do you want? I can <laughs> give, you, give you five reasons, give you ten reasons. Okay, give us five reasons. Five reasons... Why it was good for Barca. Okay, five reasons. One, first reason, they end a two-year trophy drought as well as showing players like Haaland and Mbappe, not that they're going to sign Mbappe, but, you know, the possible new players this summer, that they're a club that's still winning things. Two, the youngsters, you know, Minguesa, Pedri, De Jong in, in some ways, get a taste of winning with Barca. This is how it's got to be for them. You know, let's see if they like it and they go on and, and win more. Three, they've, you know, they can go on and... And win La Liga now. They've got morale, momentum. Everything's good. 
And, you know, I don't know, there's, there's loads of reasons. Komen, it's good for Komen because he comes out of it looking like he knows what he's doing. They finally four, won a big game. That's, that's four. You're struggling to make five. I'm not struggling. It's the first trophy of the new Laporta era, which is good for him as well and a, a sign that things are changing, start to build some positive vibes around the club. So that, that was that five. If not, I mean, there's, there's you know, Messi scoring his golasso, proving to Messi that the team is able to win trophies. Revenge for the Super Cup. I can go. I can keep going. We call that five because Tony. Tony was trying to interject there at a couple of those points. <laughs> no, I just wanted to say on the first point that uh, I think it's really interesting. Rick said, "Okay, you send a message to other players that uh, can be signed that uh, you're still uh, a, a great team." Yes, we have to remind that after the final, Haaland started following Lionel Messi on Instagram. <laughs> so. <laughs> Maybe it's a detail on what you said. Yeah, it's good. Didn't see that. Or maybe he only just maybe he only just found out who Messi was. He was just watching the final. He was like, "Oh, this Messi guy's good. I'll, I'll check him out on Instagram. Give him a follow." Maybe they didn't te- teach teach about Messi in the robot building academy where Harlem was created. Tony, what were your your thoughts on the game, on the performance, on the win? It was, I mean, the the Real Valladolid and the Real Madrid La Liga games were were difficult. They were they were sort of buzzers slowed down a little bit after the international break, but this. I mean, the second half, especially once they got that first goal, four goals followed in, well, not followed, but four goals scored in 12 minutes. It was a throwback to that, that Real Sociedad performance before the, before the international break, wasn't it? Yes, uh, you know that uh, I'm usually not a very optimistic person. I mean, uh, uh, I, I used to, I used to criticize instead of uh, praising because I think that Barcelona has, has done lots of mistakes during this season, but I definitely think it was one of the best games of the season. First of all, for me, Kuman had the, the right decision on playing with three centre-backs because, as he said after the game, because Athletic de Bilbao was playing with two strikers. So when you have to create the game, you have one extra man and then you can control, you can start uh, playing. With Jordi Alba on the left side, Serginho Des, he was also incredible. Mingueza Piqué. After a, a lot of uh, weeks without playing, he was incredible. Pedri, De Jong, I think for me it was, I would say, the best game of Barcelona. Not only because it was nil 4 even if it would have been nil one I would have said the same. For me, you know that it's my, my, my way of thinking. The best game is that game in which you don't concede anything. Can you tell me what... Did Barcelona concede against Athletic? Anything, anything. It was a really, really great game. And if they keep playing like this, of course, they are going to win La Liga. But for me, it was the best game of the season because defensively, there were no mistakes. It was like a Chinese robot. <laughs> Why? Explain that. A Chinese robot. Yes, Chinese robot. They don't have mistakes. It's just all programmed <laughs> and it goes perfectly. Kerman's team selection was not surprising, but two changes from the Classico. Were they, were they his changes with this final in mind or was it more a case of PK sort of pushing to play and Dembele not being 100% fit so Griezmann coming in or were they things that Kerman had decided he would do anyway? In my opinion, uh, well, it's a, it's a mix between opinion and information. Uh, the fact that Piquet wanted to play and pushed for that, he was pushing for that during the whole weekend. I sorry, during the whole week, it was an important fact on uh, Kuman changing 
to 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 the 352 again because he was decided to play 433 but once he realized he realized Piquet wanted to play he understood that it was better to keep uh, a bit more protected with three center backs i guess there's no i mean we'll be told there are eight finals to come there's no actual final so there's no need for a you know a gala 11 a fixed 11 but rick do you see this now being the the Barca's strongest side with with pk back or and Araujo on the bench, Dembele on the bench, or do you think there's this? You'd still rather have Dembele over Griezmann, or, or would you maybe not even play PK? I, I don't know how to answer that question. To be honest, it's not just because I had a nice day in the sun. I think I think that Dembele. I mean, we said it just one or two podcasts ago. Dembele probably is for me in Barca's strongest selection of players. So there's no chance he's just going to be benched for the rest of the season. And equally, the team looks better when against defenses that are more compact and sitting back with a proper striker, and like Antoine Griezmann, who's, who's more of a striker than Dembele, and gave the team, for want of a, uh, an English saying, I'll use a Spanish one, a reference point up front, someone to, to, to play off. And of course, Griezmann missed a big chance yesterday, but he scored the goal that broke the deadlock and then really opened the floodgates for Barca to pile on and, and get all of their goals. So I think that, I mean, Koeman, we've seen he's quite reactive, so he'll probably look at this as perhaps being the strongest team and going forward with it. But it's a big bonus for Barca that at a time when, you know, Atletico are without Luis Suarez, Joao Felix, Real Madrid are in absolute shambles. We've been talking a lot about Madrid this weekend and how their lineup today against Hitafe that drew 0-0 was, was, is basically a mess because they've got a kid in defence, Trust, and who's, you know, he's made his debut in La Liga, I think, today. And... You know, Marcelo's in the team, Odriozola's in the team, and Zidane really doesn't trust Odriozola. You know, Cruz was on the bench because he's so exhausted. Modric had to play another 90, did amazing, but he's he's exhausted as well. You know, Madrid are really struggling for fitness. So for Barca to have players like Araujo, Dembele, you know, who you're saying might not even be part of this now so-called Gala eleven is great news. And I think they'll, they'll both play a lot between now and the end of the season. And on Koeman, well, I mean, we've been speaking about how he set up, how he got it spot on on Saturday. Does the win validate him? Does it give him another season? Does it mean anything? Does it mean nothing? I think more, I mean, and it's a stupid thing to say because the performance and the win sort of come together. But as I said before the game about losing, not losing being more important than winning, does the the performance as much as anything, does that validate him? Um for the future, for for beyond, or is it just, does it depend on the league, or does it depend on nothing? Does it just depend on on what what Laporta's got lined up? Bit of everything, isn't it? I think, like you say, he did everything he could yesterday to not be sacked at the end of the season. Doesn't mean he's gonna not be sacked. We saw Laporta speak after the game, and he was asked about Messi, and he was quite effusive. He he believes Messi's going to sign on. We'll see how it goes. Then he was asked about Coman and Coman's future, and he was like, Coman's done a very good job, but he was much shiftier, much shakier over whether Coman's going to stay. And of course, it's going to depend on how La Liga goes. It's going to depend on whether whether Laporta has got anyone else in mind for the job or someone becomes available who he might think is a better candidate than Coman to lead the team into their, their new era. But he did everything everything right yesterday, Koeman. Yeah, also speaking before flying to Seville on Friday, Koeman, uh, Koeman, Laporta answered a few questions at the airport and he was... He was silent. He he didn't say anything when he was asked about Kuman. Have you seen Laporta's comments, Tony? Do you think he's sort of dodging the the Kuman issue because he's not a hundred percent? Yes, uh, I think uh, that he's not a hundred percent sure on 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 Kuman Laporta. 
For me, it's it's a difficult question. It's like when you 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 apply for a for a place or for exam, for example, and you get seven point five marks from ten, and they they say, okay, if you want, you can you you can repeat your exam, but if you get lower marks, you will have lower marks. What I want to mean is, for me, Kuman has showed that he's not a bad coach. But we also think that in big games, maybe he's not as good as others like Guardiola and Klopp. So what I think Laporta is thinking is, okay, with Kuman, things can go properly. But I know that he's not top. So you can have fear because sometimes you prefer something that is not top, but is known for you. That trying to change a lot of things that you can know that it even could go worse. So I think it's like on, on the borderline, Kuman between he deserves to continue or he's not enough top to be at Barca next season. And I'm not saying what I think. I'm saying just what I think Laporta is considering, that he doesn't know if he has enough uh, quality to be the manager. But uh, I don't know. And that's why he hasn't, uh, he hasn't said, okay, Yes, 100% Kuman will be the next the, the, the coach next season because if he had it clear he would it have said and he hasn't said it. He could have said before the final. No, just uh, finishing with Laporta could have said before the final. Yes, Kuman, you will be our manager. Get confident for the final and he hasn't said it. Why? Because it's not sure. Yeah, no, I think I think he's not sure. I think the normal thing to do in a in a different club in a normal in a different situation would be to give to give Kuman another year now. Except like at Chelsea last season when Lampard did probably better than expected. You know, he, he got Chelsea back into the Champions League. He was given another year, but really that you know the board gave it to him because he did a good job and it seemed like it was the correct thing to do. But really they were thinking, well, you know, we're going to be very watchful here. And as soon as something starts to go wrong, we're going to get rid of him and get someone else and he really knows what they're doing. And it might be the same with Kuman. They might end up giving him another year. And then in, you know, October, after a couple of bad results, they'll be like, nah, nah, this is, this is not the right move. Well, the question is always about the alternatives as well. And I don't think there's an outstanding, obvious candidate, but that's perhaps something for another another podcast, depending on how things go in La Liga and how things progress with Kuman. An easier subject, as always, is Lionel Messi. Um, we're probably not going to tell you anything new here, but another big final performance from him. He's now scored 31 goals this season, 13 consecutive seasons, scoring 30-plus goals, 35 trophies for Barcelona. Tony, Messi's Copa del Rey final performance, good, bad? Not bad, no. No, not bad. Uh, yes, uh it's it's for me an example of what has uh, happened with Messi, the fourth goal. If we remember that uh, amazing goal that he scored in Camp Nou in another Copa del Rey final against Athletic, he did it all after uh, he he did it all and he scored a great goal. You know the goal, what I mean that he he, he had done it all and he scored uh, against Gorka, and now. What he did with uh, una, uh, with Frankie de Jong, it shows what Lionel Messi is now. Now, Lionel Messi cannot do it by his own. We have to admit that, okay, maybe he's, he's still the best player in the world. But we have to admit that he cannot do 
what he did in the past, like taking the ball 50 meters from goal and get there after doing uh, a slalom. So what he did with Frankie de Jong on the fourth goal is like accepting that, okay, I'm still the best, but to be as brilliant as I was before, I need your help. And this is what I think Messi changed. Before this season, he thought that he should uh, do it all. Now he thinks that he has to help his mates and his mates can help him to win titles and win games. So this is the new Messi. And of course, with this new version of Messi, he can still be the best for three or four years. Yeah, I think Rick said something similar. I don't know if it was on Twitter or in an article he wrote. Um, it was funny, actually, because I was watching, obviously, we saw that goal a lot before the final, the the 2015 final goal. And I kind of thought there's no way Messi could really repeat that. But it was like you say, it was like a 2021 Messi version of that goal with the caveat that he now needs a little bit of bit of help. He burst forward in exactly the same right channels, picked up the ball in the same area, sprinted forward. And it, it wasn't Gorka, it was Yago Hedarin. Because I, I remember what, I watched this goal about 10 times before the game. It was Hedarin in goal and, and Messi squeezed that finish just in at the near post. And then I said after the, this, this goal, I said, I think this is a better finish. And someone said, no, this is not, that's nonsense because look how difficult it was for him to get the ball in the one spot past Hedarin where, where it fits. And I said, well, that's actually, that's like an ESPN video on that goal. And it analyzes like all the ridiculous elements of it from like the acceleration um, to the turns. And there's like the clip at the end, he's probably seen it, the guy that commented to you. It shows like he's literally got like a tiny minuscule school part of the goal to find and he finds it. Yeah. I mean, he, yeah, the guy sent me that literal video, even though I posted it myself earlier in the day. But what I meant was really the fact that Messi... In that other goal, he's in a he's in a pickle with players, and he just shoots in the one spot he can hit it. In this goal, he makes a perfect touch to just open up and leave the defenders for dead, and then just stroke it into the far corner. And for me, that's part of the finish. Setting yourself to finish is part of the finish. And I think this goal was was absolutely glorious. We could talk about a lot of players because there are a lot of good performances. We we'll just touch on one more. Um, we'll do a couple of things before the ratings, but one more player in particular before the ratings, Frankie de Jong. We said on this podcast, I said I'm gonna I'm gonna boast. It's not it's not a massive claim, is it? But um, we joked slash boast slash claimed that 2021 <laughs> would be the year of Frankie de Jong, and he's been pretty fantastic since then. He started scoring goals in midfield. He's obviously dropped back a little bit to defence in midweek, but back in midfield the last couple of weeks, brilliant in the Copa del Rey final, the the goal, the assists, the the commanding performance in midfield, helping out with the defence. This is the De Jong you were disappointed with in 2020, Rick? This is very much not the De Jong I was disappointed with. This is this is the De Jong I want to see. This is a De Jong I didn't necessarily expect to see because we didn't have goal scoring really down as one of his things. And that's come with the idea that he can play further forward and be... You know how we were talking about Paulinho on the last pod? To be that kind of guy, because he is strong and he is tall, young, and he can get into the box. And as we saw, he's got a header, although he kind of stooped low to head it from Alba's cross. What a great cross that was from Alba too. So inviting. And I think that this De Jong is the De Jong that Barca need to keep now. They can't move him back into defence unless there's an emergency. You know, and maybe he doesn't even become the Busquets replacement now, at least not until the, maybe the final years of his career. And obviously this is very hypothetical because we don't know how time is going to affect the, you know, different players. We don't know whether he might get injured or something and maybe he has to sit in one position. 
But for me, De Jong should be a part of Barcelona's attacking midfield from now on. Tony, anything to add on Frankie De Jong? Or do you just agree with what Rick says? No, I totally agree. This is not the Frankie De Jong that uh, we expected that he was going to be. After the first season, we said, wow, he's not uh, that player we saw in Ajax. And yes, nowadays he's not that player we saw in Ajax. He's much better. He's... uh, he does it all, defensively, attacking, scoring goals, assisting. The best Barcelona signing with Pedri on the last uh, seven, eight years. So incredible, Frankie de Jong, yes. And if we look, uh, it's a little bit of a negative note to, to move on to, but there was obviously before the game, it kind of got forgotten afterwards, but lots of, mainly about Ricky Puig being on the bench and, and Miralem Pjanic. It seems especially strange just because they had Arnaud Tenas and Iñaki Peña on the bench, I had a lot of questions about that. And I didn't know the answer. I don't know if Tony or Rick, if you know why why Kuman wanted those two two young goalkeepers on the bench rather than another outfield player. I wish I knew that, but uh, I don't have uh, any idea on why did Kuman uh, do that. But what I think is that we spent too much time talking about Ricky Puch. I I remember like when Mourinho said. Uh, you are asking who's not playing and you are not uh, you don't ask me who's playing the same why are we always talking on Ricky Butch? I don't know it's something special there other young players that are still great. What I, what I did like about Ricky Pudge was everyone or lots of people moaning about him not being on the bench and then just the scenes at full time just how happy he was on the pitch bouncing around like I mean he cared obviously that he wasn't in the squad but he he didn't care if you know what I mean he just he was just loved being a part of the celebrations and a part of the club. Well, yeah, I think that Ricky Puj, the reason that Coman didn't have him on the bench is because I think Coman knew who his substitutes were going to be. I think there was just no chance Ricky Puj was coming on because, yeah, he had Elish Mariba on the bench, who was going to be the first midfield sub, or Sergio Roberto, who could be the first midfield sub. And, and while two goalkeepers doesn't make any sense, at the same time, he was like, well, you know, I'm obviously going to bring on Dembele, I'm obviously going to bring on Araujo, I'm going to bring on... Elash Mariba, and I, I just think he just knew who he wanted to take with him and who, in his opinion, deserved to play a part in this cup final. And I know everyone loves Ricky Puj, and I agree with Tony that people, we do talk a bit too much about him, but Kerman obviously wasn't, doesn't believe Ricky Puj is that big a part of this squad. Let's talk about the celebrations because I like, I like seeing players celebrate. It's kind of like a little bit different, isn't it? They kind of let loose a little bit. PK obviously leading the players off the bus with the champagne, spraying the media, lots of videos of of them celebrating on the bus, you know, the new generation of, of players coming through, sort of injecting the, the the veterans, if you will, with a little bit of illusion, a little bit of that, that celebratory feel. Um, there was a funny video of Martin Brathwaite as well, which I sent to Rick that he, he posted of just everyone on the bus sort of dancing or sort of almost rapping and he cuts and Tostegan just sort of sat down on the seat and looks up at him. <laughs> Tony, any highlights from, from those videos from social media? Any any celebrations you liked? Whether Laporta going down to the dressing room or, or PK spraying the media with, with champagne? Well, uh, the, the funniest uh, moment for me, it was when uh, after the game, after the game in, in, on, on the pitch, when a Barcelona photographer tried to to take a pic of uh, all players which has grown on La Masia and uh, Dembélé didn't know it and he tried to be on the photograph, on the picture and uh, Piquet said to him, what the hell are you doing here? You costed the club a lot of money, just go away and don't <laughs> appear on the photograph. 
<laughs> Shades of Alex Song. Alex Song and Eric Eric Abidal back in that Champions League trophy. <laughs> the same, that he was expecting to, to, to receive the title and it was uh, Abidal to receive it. <laughs> it, was a funny, uh, it was a funny moment, but apart from that, you see that now Dembélé is more, I don't know, one, one more player before this decision, he seemed to be like on his own world. That, so it was funny, but at the same time, it shows you that there is a great atmosphere in the dressing room. Yeah, important to have a bit of banter. PK was in great form as ever. And just the just the comments that they were making and stuff, there was plenty of sort of optimism and confidence and, you know, a, a new era, if you were. It feels like, you know, a new sort of, a new time, a new cycle at the club, perhaps, even though there are still a lot of familiar faces. One of them being Messi, of course, who who lined up for photos with his teammates. Some people criticised that on on social media saying that they, they looked a little bit like competition winners. What were your thoughts on that, Rick? Uh, I mean, I saw a very funny reply to a tweet like that. And the, the reply was, well, they are competition winners. They literally just won the Copa del Rey. That's a competition, isn't it? I think that was Joel Golby. Very funny man. But it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's maybe slightly odd, but also it's Messi is the best player that's ever lived in the history of football. Of course, you're going to want a photo with him, potentially with the last cup he lifts at Barca. If you're a kid just starting out, you've lived your whole life in the era of Messi. You've woken up as like a five-year-old, gone downstairs to watch TV and there's Messi scoring amazing goals. And you've thought, wow, what an amazing player. Now you're playing next to him. You're in the same shirt as him. You're in the same pictures as him. Ridiculous to have a go at, at kids taking photos of Messi or even adults. There's a funny video of Clement Langlet like, sort of waiting there and thinking to himself, he's like, should I get a photo of Messi? Is it, you know, should I do this? And he sort of resists. He just holds off and he eventually, I think, gets one. He doesn't get one. There's no length. No, no not with Messi. He might get one with a cup by himself, though, I think. Right then, Rick, take away your quick-fire Copa del Rey final ratings. Ter Stegen, 7. Mingessa, 7. PK 8. Big performance, considering he's played one game in about eight, nine weeks for Barca. And I, I've heard on another pod, I think Umtiti could be Barca's Ledley King. A bit tongue-in-cheek. Maybe PK is going to end up being Barca's Ledley King. Sort of wheeled out, like cryogenically frozen and brought into these big matches, like the, the semi-final against Sevilla as well. Lenglet, 7. Dest, 7. Busquets, 7. And here we go. This is it. The first time on Siempre Pod a player gets a 10. Frankie de Jong, 10 out of 10. Absolutely exquisite performance. Jordi Alba, 9. Pedri, 7. Messi, 9. It, it would kind of be 10 if Messi was any other player. But I know he's still got more than he gave yesterday because we know what Messi is. Griezmann, I'm giving him a 7. He just missed that massive chance. Which should have been 1-0. Didn't matter in the end. He got his goal. And, you know, it passed a 1. But still problematic for me, Antoine. And all the subs, not really relevant. You know, they all came on. But Barca had had cleaned up by then. Right, I'm going to break away now because we've finally got... I don't know if you've been following the news about the European Super League today. But we now have the statement from the new European Super League club competition. I'm just going through it now. 12 of Europe's leading football clubs have today come together to announce they have agreed to establish a new midweek competition, the Super League, governed by its founding clubs. Um, 12 clubs, you, you've seen them mentioned, six English clubs, Real Madrid, Barcelona and Atletico Madrid among them. Tony, I don't know if you've been following this story today. It's now official. It's now out there. Barca's name on the on the list. What are your thoughts? Are you, are you disappointed that Barca are on there? Do you think it's a good idea? Well, to be honest, uh, I don't have a clear opinion. I don't know. I, I know that it's not, it's not trending when you, 
when you have when you don't when you don't have a radical opinion on something i'm sorry if i disappoint our listeners but okay uh, is it nowadays uh, football only business it's going to be a business how long it takes since football is only a business it's only now or it's been on the last 20 years that it's becoming each time a bigger and a bigger business it's going to be bad news for uh, short for for smaller teams i don't know i don't know what to say but uh, for me what i definitely think is that you have to think on supporters and i think that this superliga is not based thinking it's not think for supporters it's think because Six, seven, eight, nine, ten, twelve clubs. They want to earn much money. So, does it make sense? Of course, yes. Money is all the sense here in this world. But I don't know. I don't know what to what to think. I agree with Tony. Tony, am I right in thinking that for Barca to be involved in something like this, though, the socios would have to vote on it, or could could the board, could the club? go forward on that without without the socios having to vote? Wow, this is a great question. And apart from that, we have to be aware of the fact that Laporta criticized a few months ago this Superliga. So I don't know if socios of Barcelona should vote that or would vote that. I don't know. It's a, it's a great question. But if Laporta said that they want to do all the things properly and what members wanted, maybe he should. And I'm not sure which one would be the answer. Rick, the format is 20 participating clubs with 15 founding clubs and a qualifying mechanism for a further five teams. So it's basically a closed shop for 15 and then five clubs can participate each year. The The tournament is then two groups of 10, you play home and away and then it the top four teams go through into a quarterfinal stage. Um, your your thoughts as a Chelsea fan and a journalist who covers Barcelona and Real Madrid? Well, I'm disappointed with the whole thing. I think I'm against. I say I'm against the whole thing, at least from what I understand of it. I did. So the 15 founding clubs are always staying in there, and then five play in it, and then maybe the same five if they do well, or five if they you know do well in the domestic league again. What if a, what if a team that's not in the founding clubs wins it? but doesn't do well in their domestic league. Are they not in it next year? It's like, I think it's... So from what I've seen so far, and I haven't read all this stuff because it's literally come out at half past 12 at night during this podcast, so I haven't gone through everything. It sounds like a confusing format and one which is obviously geared towards just keeping the same old names there or not in a, on a meritocracy. But the main problem for me, like Tony says, is that you know fans want to go to the biggest games but these games are going to be midweek and they're not going to be able to you can't just keep taking midweeks off to go abroad and go and play who knows what they're even going to play these games after one or two years maybe they'll start to be like well let's play some of these super league games in america nobody nobody's going to be able to just fly to america for two days let's play this super league game in australia like it's it's a it's a joke and often maybe even the times of the game are going to be bad to watch on television let alone actually go to the match so my initial reaction is negative, and I imagine the more I read about it, probably the yeah. more negative I'll I mean, get. I'm not as strong as other people. My, the way some people were going in, I th- it was as if like the clubs all wanted to leave the leagues and set up this this separate league. 
Um, but yeah, massively against it. The meritocracy thing is is an absolute disgrace that they're, they're guaranteed their entry into this tournament, especially certain teams that aren't even in that that echelon of of European football. No names. Um, oh, there's going to be names. I'm not even saying this as a Chelsea fan, but how on earth are Tottenham in this in this concept? <laughs> and apart from that, we have to be aware of one fact for me on the future of that Super League. I mean. If if you had, for example, the whole year holidays, you wouldn't enjoy your trips as holidays. So you'd be you, unemployed. <laughs> you'd be looking for a job at the job seekers from, office. Apart from that, or if you like ice creams and you eat ice cream each day, every day, you don't take a value from that. So if we are going to see ten classicos per season, if we are going to see five Chelsea Arsenal per season we have if we are going to see six Inter Milan every season maybe we are under I don't know I don't know how to say in English maybe we are losing the expectation that feeling that you have with these games that you only have them two or three times on on a season or maybe less so I don't yeah, know less. if it could be positive I'm really excited for Chelsea against Real Madrid and part of that is because Chelsea haven't played Real Madrid. I don't remember, you know, it was like 1999 or something the last time they played a game against each other. And part, so the rarity of it is, is the genius. I get bored in the Champions League when a, like Man City are playing Porto again. Oh, brilliant. For, you know, I've seen that a bunch of times or, you know, whatever. When teams draw the same teams in two seasons in a row, it's boring. Barca are playing Juve again. Oh, great. We're going to get that every single year now. If this goes ahead, if this goes ahead, big if. I get the other thing is that it's a ploy for a negotiating tactic with UEFA for for more control, more power, more money from from the Champions League. But it's a story that's going to run and run, and that's, that's been running. I guess my initial reaction from a Barcelona point of view is one of disappointment, but not surprise. You know, they they champion themselves as as Mascaron club, as as Rick said a lot of times before. A lot of that has gone out the window now, and they are just another club. They're the, the same as Manchester United, as Real Madrid, as. As as Chelsea, uh, you know they're they're an organisation that wants to make as much money and are, and are looking out for themselves more than they're looking out for for the fans. However, they paper it up, I guess. Um, although the, the surprise in the mission is that Paris Saint Germain are not officially among the the first twelve, which is a funny one. But I guess that's because Nasser is on the UEFA board, and maybe certain things. I'm sure when things develop, they might change. And because and because uh, maybe they know. That uh, UEFA has uh, made some favors to Paris Saint Germain with uh, fair play uh, financially, so maybe they cannot uh, vote against this new. Uh, they cannot vote for this new competition. Maybe this is the case of Paris Saint Germain. Couple of other issues. Which, well, just a, just a news update, really. We won't go into this in too much depth, but Jorge Messi is in Barcelona. He was at the Barcelona B game on Sunday night. Um, the Messi camp say there's no meeting planned with, with the club as yet. He's in Europe for personal business. He's going to travel on to Italy this week, but they don't rule out a potential meeting with the club or with Joanne Laporta while he is in Europe. Um, although there's, there's no contract on the table yet for Messi. We also had a question for for Tony from Colm Power who wanted to know about Nico Gonzalez. I don't know if you know much about him, if you've seen him, what sort of player he is, whether he can, can replace Sergio Busquets was the question. Yes, he can be the new Sergio Busquets, but apart from that, I think that there's a, there's a line 
expecting to beat the new Sergio Busquets because apart from Nico Gonzalez, do you have a really, really good player? And I know that in the club they see him as the new Busquets and he's called Jandro Orellana. So I don't know. The good, the good fact for Barcelona is, is, is that the, they have a lot of players that the, has a great future and Nico Gonzalez is one of them. But I would say that nowadays maybe Jandro Orellana is, uh, I don't know how to say it in English, a bigger player for the moment. He's, he's, he's more than maybe Nico Gonzalez is still on the oven being cooked. There's, there have been a lot of new Sergio Busquets, starting with, uh, I guess, Sergi Sampa, maybe even Sergi Roberto when he was first dropping back. And then Oriol Busquets was the obvious one with the same surname. And now, yeah, Oriana and Nico Gonzalez, there were always Busquets coming through the, the Barca Academy. And just to finish, back to the La Liga title race this weekend, Atletico Madrid won 5-0, ending a disappointing run of games without a win. They beat Bar. It was was very, very easy. Madrid drew 0-0 with Hitafe, as we touched on this week. Barca-Hitafe on Thursday, Barca at Villarreal on Sunday. Rick, your thoughts on the title race after a weekend in which Barca didn't play, but now have the title back in their hands again? Massive momentum from Barca, and I'm, I was impressed with Atletico as well, given they don't have those two forwards, as I said earlier, Felix and Suarez, to, and just put everything behind them and thrash Abar. But Abar are despicably bad this season. I think they've lost or haven't won 14 in a row. I can't remember the exact stat. So it's not, yeah, not a not a good season for them. And I reckon, and it's not a, a big or clever thing to say, but it's probably going to come down to that Barca-Atletico game. If that's a draw, Real Madrid look good. If Barca win, Barca are in pole position. And if Atletico win, Atletico will be in pole position. Yeah, Madrid on action on Wednesday away at Cadiz. That one's far from easy for them with the... The players they've got missing and the Atletico play on Thursday before Barca Atafe, they play Huesca at home. Tony, the momentum has swung back in Barcelona's favour, hasn't it? I mean, we have to note that Madrid are completely, completely without, you know, tons of players. They're really, really down to the to the bare bones. But Barca with that Copa del Rey win, with the the fact they play Atletico, the fact the title's in their own hands... It's been, yeah, a big change from, from when we spoke last Sunday after the Classico. Yes, uh, no, no, of course, it's a big change. And, and when we can, we, what we can expect totally is, uh, apart from that game against Atletico de Madrid, uh, Barca can win all other games. But what I think is that that drop from Atletico de Madrid is being stopped. And I think if uh, Atletico de Madrid can have at least one point Against Barca, as I said on the last podcast, I think Atletico de Madrid is going to be the champions. The champion. If Barcelona can win uh, to Atletico de Madrid in the Camp Nou, I would say Barcelona. So yes, as Rick said, that Barcelona-Atletico de Madrid is 100% for me a final. Yeah, another a huge week of football before then though. And, you know, Messi said after that Copa del Rey final, he said a lot's going to happen between now and the end of the season. The first thing that happened is Madrid dropping points. I'm sure at some point Barca or Atletico would, would, well, maybe they won't. Maybe Barca can win out. They're in a good position to win out with the Copa del Rey and no Champions League games. But feels like there's going to be, be twists and turns. Villarreal away, Valencia away, Atletico at home. There are some, some tricky games for Barca. So it's not straightforward or, or guaranteed that they will win all their games. No, no. And uh, you, you have seen, for example, last games of Villarreal. They are playing perfectly with Gerard uh, uh, Moreno that is on fire. Always uh, Valencia is a difficult team. 
So yes, when you think that if you will, you win all the games, you are going to be champion. Yes, it's perfect because you don't you don't have to be aware on Real Madrid or Atletico. But we have to admit that Barcelona is going to have some difficult games, and um, it's it's always difficult to imagine five or seven or eight wins on a row. And even because when you play against teams that uh, maybe are fighting for relegation. They are still dangerous. So yes, apart from that game, I think that the Madrid, Atletico, and Barça they will all drop points. It's a very good season for mediocre at the time former Espanol players, Gerard Moreno, who's now incredible, and Lucas Vázquez, who's become incredible. And both were at Espanol. Neither were bad, but they weren't particularly good either. And now they're ripping up La Liga. And and also another former Espanol player. Felipe Coutinho is having a great season. <laughs> Just no comment. I feel like we're legally obliged to comment as well on Sevilla because we've not mentioned them, but they are, they, I mean, they, I don't know if it's fair to say they're in the race, but they are right right there. It's difficult to see them overtaking all three, but points-wise, they're, they're there and they still have to play Real Madrid. And if they were to beat Real Madrid, they would move level on points with, with Real Madrid if they carry on at the same pace as each other before then. And they absolutely, today, they had so many chances against Real Sociedad. They could have won that like 4-5-0, one, I guess, because they scored one, that I am. But... Tony's, Tony's shaking his head. Can we, can we discard Sevilla? This is if, like, we both three, we are on a clap with uh, Brad Pitt... Uh, and uh, Orlando Bloom no one is going to take a look to us the same (laughs) unless La Liga dock points to Real Madrid Barca and Atletico for being part of this European Super League just got an email from FIFA who are kicking off about it as well they're saying they disapprove of it para Frenkie de Jong de Jong para Messi de nuevo jugando a placer los dos llega Messi se planta en el área puede marcar Leo que golazo acaba de marcar Leo Messi espectacular la jugada entre Frenkie de Jong y el argentino 